0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Graham Slam Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Anderson, and today, the Graham Slam Podcast finally returns. Well, myself and my family have been under the weather, dealing with COVID and other sicknesses that have run through my household over the past two, three weeks. I am back to recording. I may still have a little bit of a stuffy nose due to allergies, which you probably can hear. But that's okay. I'm good to go to record, and let me introduce you to a new era. As we all know, I have transitioned the Gram Slam podcast into a separate, altogether podcast from the traditional baseball podcast, and making it into a sports podcast covering pro wrestling, spring football, and many more topics. I've learned through analytics that anything that wasn't related to the Pioneer League or Vibes Baseball on the Grand Slam Podcast was just not getting any listens, except for one or two people per week. So what I did was, it wasn't working very well, um, there was not much news to cover um, for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, and I just did not want to take a long hiatus until stuff started rolling in or until the season started, in just about uh, two and a half months. So I, I wanted to basically let you know if if you're here, thank you. I appreciate you. I do have a new uh, show that I have transitioned into. The, this is the PBL show, the Pioneer Baseball League show, uh, that will be covering the Rocky Mountain vibes and all other nine teams in the Pioneer, uh, Independent Pioneer Baseball League that – um, is going to be an exciting year. Looking forward to it. So, if you are tuning in, definitely ca- uh, go catch the uh, this is the PABL show. Um, it is did take place of the Gram Slam podcast, uh, Instagram account, and then my personal account became my uh, the Gram Slam podcast. So, look forward to that. But on today's episode, along with the second episode that's airing shortly after this. Um, I will cover the XFL as I did on the last episode. I covered the downfall and demise of the 2001 XFL edition. And on today's episode, I will go over the grandest stage of them all that started exactly 19 years later when Vince McMahon resurrected the XFL from the depths of hell, as I call it, and brought it to life to something that was about to change the way we look at spring football Um, That was, of course, until a worldwide pandemic, as we all know, hit the planet and took out sports as we knew it at the time. Unfortunately for XFL fans, Vince McMahon himself was not going to wait around and take any kind of loss and quickly filed for bankruptcy, breaking not only my heart, as you've listened to my podcast about the XFL, but many of fans out there that were hooked on it. So on this episode today, it isn't directly to talk about the rise and fall of the XFL 2020, but more the planning, the innovative rules, and the game of football, and most of all, my story of the XFL 2020 and how I experienced some of the best sporting events slash travel that I've got to be, essentially got to be a part of, um, and how that all came together in the end. Um, of uh, basically the end of the line when everything did crash and my experience with that as well. I want to set an expectation for this episode and every episode going forward of just exactly what I am wanting to come out of these shows and the most importantly is basically creating a time capsule of not only my experience, but the overall meaning it truly had to me as being a season ticket holder, a person, um, and essentially just being a fan, um, especially of the Dallas Renegades, who I was a season ticket holder of, and being part of the movement that just might have struck gold and didn't even know it had um, at that point in time, which um, I am discussing more on episode 26, which is right up after this episode that you can listen to back to back. Um, the overall change of this podcast is again to give you some more in-depth stories, both personal news bits and that will cover a broader picture of what to expect and why you should follow these organizations and what they have to offer to our communities and the opportunities that arise. As a supplement to the Graham Slam podcast, I will be working timelessly on creating a vlog that will be airing on YouTube. As a real life journey covering things I love rather it be sports, video games, movies, TV shows, life in general. All this will be compressed within the Grand Slam brand that I am essentially developing. And as I spoke about earlier, this is the PBL show covering the Rocky Mountain Vibes and the other Pioneer Baseball teams this season. Again, there's an endless possibility of the different brands I want to pull forward. Um, Again, don't forget to join me here weekly on the grand slam podcast Wednesday evenings at 6 PM mountain time. And then this is the PBL show Saturday mornings, wrapping up your weekly PBL news stories and coverage as we head in to the 2022 season that is just two and a half months away, a little over two and a half months away. And With the outcome of potentially no Major League Baseball, this is my time to shine. I will kid you not, I had a conversation with my wife last night after I was complaining about Major League Baseball's lockout of just my obsession with independent leagues and how much I hate the professional sports. Now, don't get me wrong. I watch MLB. I watch NFL. I support my teams, the Atlanta Braves and the Tennessee Titans. But when you rewind it all and kind of zoom out and look at the picture, I can't stand the greediness of half of these leagues and what they do. They don't care about the fans. Hopefully we're going to see some changes with the NFL Now that they have a partnership with the XFL, but that'll be on episode 26. Stay tuned for that. But let's go ahead. As always, let's start off with everyone's favorite opening segment, the Entertainment 10. Let's go. welcome to the entertainment 10 ladies and gentlemen it is time for basically the biggest in my opinion the big release um in this entertainment 10 today i am talking about the batman of course we all know batman has officially um released technically speaking Last night was a fan experience premiere that I think Cinemark and other movie theaters are doing. I think they're doing one tonight as well. And then the official release date is tomorrow night. I have tickets. I'm ready to go. I love Batman. Um, of course, the the previous uh, installments of Batman, there's been a lot. I think uh, Christian Bale was my all-time favorite Batman, and that series... Was just with Christopher Nolan, was just amazing. But this is a new Batman, and when the news originally dropped that this movie was being made, uh, the Batman, uh, we all heard that Batman was casted or whatnot by Rob Pattinson, who we all know from the Twilight series. He's done a lot of other movies. I don't want to just, um, hound on the fact that he's from twilight he's a sparkling vampire Uh, that's i mean that's what he's really known for but uh, in reality he's done a lot of movies since then and kind of got a little away from the twilight series per se but overall when everyone thought at first he was being cast as batman it was like are, are you kidding me he's batman there's so many other choices potentially out there. But, you know, after seeing the previews, the build-up to this movie, and just the, the, the reviews that have come in so far, I've got to say, I, I he could potentially be one of the best Batmans yet. And I, I, I'm going to bite my tongue with that. I'm going to get trashed from people with that statement. But... There's a possibility. This is a new, different type of Batman from what I can see from the the overall preview. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it takes that same exact storyline where uh, Bruce Wayne's parents were killed as, as little. They could, but I, I don't think that's the route they're going. Um, this movie also has Catwoman and the Riddler in it. Um, it's a completely different take on the Riddler. Obviously, the last Riddler movie we saw the Riddler in, I believe, was Batman and Robin with Jim Carrey. I think that was the last Batman movie with the Riddler in it. And it, it the Riddler is supposed to be a real joke of a character. I think in this one, he's more of a serious, uh, serious role, per se. And then, of course, you have Batman, who almost in my opinion, looks like he's kind of more of a detective-type scenario than the overall, like, big vigilante-type thing. So it, there's a lot to kind of digress. Not digress, but uh, kind of to to look at um, when we essentially look at the preview of the movie, um, which I'm going to go ahead and do a live reaction right here, right now, of... The final preview that has released for the movie, which you may be able to hear a little bit of it in the background from my computer audio, Um, but the Batman, the final trailer, um, basically, essentially is 2 minutes and 38 seconds long. Um, It is the 2022 concept of the movie, which is uh, produced by Matt Reeves. Uh, featuring Robert Pattinson and Zoe uh, Kravitz, I believe is how you pronounce her name. And I believe she is the one that plays uh, Catwoman. So let's go ahead and play this trailer now. So yeah, it looks like again it's kind of like a murder mystery. Someone is murdered. Batman is coming in to like investigate the murder with um with uh Detective Gordon. And then you hear the Riddler talking about unmasking the truth whether he's talking about Batman or maybe the corruption of the police. Um, We jump to a scene where uh, Catwoman is uh, breaking in, kind of her typical M.O., and then we see a fight scene between Catwoman and Batman, and then kind of a potential love interest between the two. And then there's a, a pretty decent fighting scene in the rain Um, Where it looks like Batman is taking on some of the Riddler's henchmen. And then it looks like almost a funeral of a police officer or someone. And there's a little boy in the front row that Bruce Wayne is looking at. So it, it... Again, it, there's a lot to this movie, but it, it really looks like a kind of a murder mystery type thing that Batman is trying to solve and trying to do his visual Annie stuff in between. And he's talking about not giving a crap of what happens to him. There's definitely a bunch of guns. Uh, Catwoman is showing loading a gun. It, it's just an overall, like insane looking movie that really i didn't really have much interest in to begin with um when it first really started but i mean the the batmobile looks insanely crazy it's kind of believe like a dodge charger type car could be wrong about that um but yeah the the batman um, it just looks amazing. The runtime, I believe, is two hours and 45 minutes. Um, so it's a, it's a quite long Batman movie, but I am completely expecting this to be like one of the best Batman movies we've seen in a while, going back to Christopher Nolan's uh, overall series. Um, we all know the last Batman in that series was not the greatest. With Bane. Kind of was a little bit of a joke. Um, but the first two with uh, Batman and then, of course, with Joker in the second one. Uh, those are prime classic movies. So this movie really is going to depend on, one, how Robin, or Robert uh, Patterson really does in the movie, essentially, of being this Batman character and being Bruce Wayne, and what real direction they take with the movie because I I feel that there is an awful lot that can essentially happen in this movie that could make or break it. But like I said, the initial reviews, and I I try to stay away from reviews because I really don't care what anybody else thinks about a movie. I want to see it personally and make my judgment and kind of go from there and I know again, I've obviously this entertainment ten segment is giving my reviews and stuff like that, kind of counteractive of what I'm talking about or opposite. But I want again to really go in this uh, movie with an open mind, not really read into it. I have not read any anything really into the movie other than watching some of the trailers. I've seen the ratings that Rotten Tomato and uh, IGN. Uh, have given it Um, they gave it a 10 out of 10 IGN Uh, current rating on Rotten Tomatoes is 87% fresh so I believe that this essentially has the potential to be a very great movie we've waited a long time for this movie I I believe it was supposed to come out last year or even maybe at the end of 2020 Um, but of course COVID Obviously, delayed production and everything. So, yeah, I I can't wait to see this. I have, I think, 855 tickets for tomorrow night. So, um, I will definitely have a review, spoiler-free review, next week um, on episode 27. And then, I believe on episode 28, I may actually do a full review of the movie uh, just kind of depends. Give some time for people to get to watch it or whatnot. So, this has been your Entertainment 10 segment of the day. Let's go ahead and jump right on into the main topic today, which is the XFL 2020 edition the movement has started the future is near new league new teams a new story starts here where a nation began Where big nose no bounds where hot will be hotter time to turn up this sound Where glamour meets grit where empires are grown where great things launch and the game returns home eight hungry cities Less of the same We're doing it different Reimagining the game This is Dallas, Tampa, St. Louis, NYC It's Seattle, Houston, LA, and DC It's happening, get ready Time to scream, time to yell This is football reborn This is the XFL Audio was provided to us by XFL's official YouTube and man i'll tell you the one thing about the 2020 season is the production value that the XFL put out with content on youtube um the pregame shows that they did in a studio all this stuff was so massive that it just it worked, and I, I really hope to see that when we uh, see the XFL return next year in 2023. But let's go ahead and rewind a little bit and tell you how the XFL 2020 came about, returned, and was resurrected, as I put it, from hell, from Vince McMahon himself. So in 2017, ESPN 30 for 30 documentary... This was the XFL. Vince McMahon himself openly wanted to, kind of led to noting that he wanted to revive the XFL um, and that changes would need to be made compared to 2001 to make it uh, viable and relevant in the modern era. Um, Vince McMahon had purchased the trademarks of the defunct United Football League, UFL, Um, In early 2017, the following year, the director of the documentary, Charlie Ebstahl, son of Dick Eberstahl, would go on to help form the Alliance of American Football, the AAF, in 2018, hoping to beat the revived XFL in being the first to play. They did that by a year, but the league did fail, so in 2019, they played, I believe, a half a season before the uh, AF went bankrupt. And it lost two major investors during the process. Um, so on, but to kind of rewind, back on December 15, 2017, Bleacher reports, Brad Shepard reported that Vince McMahon was seriously considering a revival of the XFL within um Expected announcement on January 25th, 2018 in a statement to Deadspin, WWE World Wrestling Entertainment did not confirm or deny the rumors, but did state that Vince McMahon was establishing a new company known as Alpha Entertainment, which would explore investment opportunities across the sports and entertainment landscapes, including professional football. On December 21st, 2017, WWE issued a filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, uh, stating that Vince McMahon had sold $100 million worth of WWE stock to fund Alpha Entertainment. Alpha Entertainment is headquartered next door to WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. On January 25th, 2018, Alpha Entertainment announced a new incarnation of the XFL, which would begin with a 10 week inaugural season beginning in January or February of 2020. In a press conference, Vince McMahon stated that the new XFL would be uh, dissimilar to the previous incarnation, stating that there's only so many things that the FL on the end of them. Of them, and those are already taken. But we aren't going to have much of what the original XFL had. McMahon stated that the league would feature eight teams as a single entity owned by Alpha. Uh, The previous XFL was also a single entity league, um, which had been revealed. In 2019, that Alpha Entertainment was established to keep the league's management and operations separate from that of the World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE. Vince McMahon uh, was prepared to invest as much as $500 million, five times as much as his investment in the 2001 XFL. Um, He liquidated an additional $270 million in WWE stock, Uh, representing a 4% stake in WWE in March of 2019 to provide additional funding for the league. The XFL essentially kind of, when Vince McMahon was announcing it, kind of took a more political stance that the XFL discouraged political gestures by players during games such as, for example, taking a knee in protest Uh, McMahon also planned to forbid any player with a criminal record from participating. Now, of course, this was kind of his like running his mouth at first because of the political stance that was going on throughout America. Um, If you want to call it a political stance, I kind of see that a little bit different of taking a knee during the National Anthem. But I will leave my belief system out of this podcast and political stuff out of it but that's kind of what the xfl was being billed as as vince mcmahon didn't want any of this happening didn't want people with criminal records participating and soon after this announcement uh the XFL hired Commissioner Oliver Luck uh, to basically take over the league. Oliver Luck, who uh, son is a was a famous uh, famous quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Andrew Luck. Uh, Commissioner uh, Oliver Oliver Luck later walked back the later decision, noting that the policy had not been yet finalized and stated in April 2019 that it would allow its teams to sign uh, people like Johnny Menzel, who was uh, convicted of domestic violence in 2016. Menzel... Uh, nonetheless was excluded from the inaugural draft and players' association with the league, later stating that it had no interest in him. Um, McMahon justified his intentions by stating that the XFL will be evaluating a player based on many things, including the quality of human beings that they are, and that people don't want social or political issues coming into play when they are trying to be entertained. He suggested that players who wish to express political opinions should do so on their own time. Uh, Luck stated in October 2018 that the ban on protesting during the National Anthem would be written into the players' contracts as a condition of employment and that the stipulation was McMahon's idea. Luck agreed that the, the league aimed to be as non-political as possible. Uh, players are not barred from using cannibalists as the league will not be testing for drugs. Um, so essentially that's where kind of, we started out as, um, the big thing is as time went on, we started hearing more and more about what the XFL was going to be about. Um, the, the league basically wanted to revise, basically have a game that was about two and a half hour target in length, um, and then they announced uh, changes to overtime rules. It was implemented that television broadcast would have three-hour time lengths of a regular season game clocked in at two hours and 50 minutes, the same as the uh, Canadian Football League. Um, he also noted that by announcing it two years in advance, unlike the original XFL, which I talked about last episode um, was only announced one year in advance. There'd be more time to prepare the league to deliver more desirable product. Um, Vince McMahon denied that the timing of the announcement was meant to uh, coincide with a recent rating downturn being experienced by the NFL explaining what has happened there is just their business. And I'm not going to knock those guys, but I'm going to learn from their mistakes as anyone would if they were uh, tasked at reimagining a new football league. Um, Again, on June 5th, 2018, Oliver Luck was named the commissioner and chief executive officer of the league. Um, He had previous positions with the NCAA and um, ended up taking over operations of the XFL. So there's there's a lot of aspects of dates and everything that we had um the league essentially announced that um it would uh, choose its eight host cities and stadiums for the first franchise, which uh, essentially was announced on December 5th of 2018, and also announced the stating starting date uh, for kickoff was February 8th, 2020, the weekend after the Super Bowl. The date on which its first two games were later played, um, its first head coach and general manager was Dallas's own Bob Stoops um, was uh, or Dallas's football coach Bob Stoops was announced on February 7 2019 with the coaches for Seattle, Jim Thorne DC, Prep Hamilton and Tampa Bay Mark Tressman uh, following later in the month the last of the inaugural head coaches Houston's June Jones was hired May 13th and introduced on the 20th, And then the emergence of the uh, Alliance of uh, American Football, the AFF, created issues selecting cities to host XFL teams as many potential candidates became home to AFF teams, notably Orlando, the largest city without an NFL team and an acceptable stadium. Orlando was uh, one of the original XFL's most successful markets and the second in attendance uh, for the 2019 AAF season. Um, Not wanting teams to compete against other spring football teams in the same market, the XFL chose different cities than the AAF. Uh, The league chose to focus on placing teams in large media markets, selecting five of the top seven largest media markets in the United States based on 2017 Census Bureau estimates. All eight XFL markets have over 2.59 million residents each, the smallest being St. Louis. Uh, this was seen as a stark contrast to the other emerging spring football league, the AAF. Um, in May of 2019, the XFL placed a, a bid on some of the AFF's at, former assets as part of the league's bankruptcy proceedings. The league was outbidded by former Arena Football League uh, executive Jerry Kurtz uh, several months earlier in December 2018. Charlie Ebertsall asked Vince McMahon about merging the AAF and the XFL, which had then yet to start its ultimately observed sole season with XFL. Vince McMahon did turn that down. The league signed its first player quarterback, uh, Landry Jones, on August 15th, 2019, and the XFL revealed team names and logos on August 21st 2019. Uh, Players were then assigned uh, to each team in a 2020 XFL draft from October 15th to the 16th, with schedules released on October 22nd and ticket sales opening to the general public October 24th. Uniforms were then revealed on December 3rd. Um, In the week leading up to the kickoff, the XFL secured sponsorships from Gatorade Gatorade and Anheuser-Busch. The Anheuser-Busch sponsorship uh, was used to promote Bud Light Seltzer, and the Seltzer Chug became a post-game locker room tradition, in part of being a product placement deal. After averaging 3.1 million viewers in its first week, the average ratings for XFL would drop to 1.5 million viewers During its fifth and final week um, before the suspension. Now, kind of go back, if you are not aware of the Essential XFL uh, 2020, the teams, the names, and everything. So, just like I did last week or last episode uh, with the 2001 edition, this is the Essential Teams. So, the Dallas Renegades um, were played out of Arlington, Texas. Um, They essentially played at Globe Life Park. um, And the capacity, I believe, was 25,000 people. Head coach was Bob Stoops. Houston Roughnecks played in Houston, Texas, out of the TDECU Stadium. Uh, Capacity 40,000. June Jones was their coach. The Los Angeles Wildcats uh, played in Carson, California uh, at Dignity Health Sports Park, 27,000 capacity with Winston Moss as the head coach. The Seattle Dragons uh, played in Seattle, Washington at um, what at that point in time was called Century League Field um, where the Seattle Seahawks play. And the capacity was 69,000 of that stadium, with Jim Zorn being the head coach. Uh, We move over. That was the West Division. We move over to the East Division, which had the D.C. Defenders playing out of Washington, D.C. Out of uh, Aldi Field, Uh, capacity was uh, the lowest in the league, which was 20,000. And they had Pep Hamilton as their head coach. Uh, next up was the New York Guardians, uh, out of East Rutherford, Rutherford, New Jersey. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, they played uh, MetLife Stadium, which is the home of the New York and uh, New York Jets and New York Giants for NFL. Uh, capacity of that stadium was one of the largest, which was eighty-two thousand five hundred. Uh, they had uh, Kevin. Uh, Gilbright as their head coach. Uh, next was the returning team, or not returning, but the debut of a St. Louis football team since the Los or since the Rams moved to L.A. St. Louis Battlehawks uh, went into St. Louis, Missouri, played at the Dome at America's Center, and their uh, capacity was sixty six thousand nine hundred and sixty five. Uh, with head coach Jonathan Hayes. And then, of course, last but not least, was the Tampa Bay Vipers, uh, playing in Tampa, Florida, at Raymond James Stadium, which is home to now the uh, uh, 2021 uh, Super Bowl champions. And their capacity, uh, 65,618. And they had Mark Trust. Trustman as their head coach. Now, of course, there was a practice squad team, which was called the Team 9. Uh, they essentially ran out of Arlington, Texas. I, I think there is also maybe some running of that team out of Houston. Um, but they uh, played at uh, coca Kota Stadium, I believe, in Arlington, Texas. Uh, which uh, the capacity of that stadium was 25,000, and they had uh, Bart Andrus as their uh, head coach. Now, of course, this is just a practice squad that teams were able to get players off of if there was injuries or anything like that. Um, So, Team 9, very interesting aspect of that, which will be interesting to see if the 2023 version of XFL does have, like, a Team 9 or whatever additional team uh, that the league has number of teams. There has been rumors of more than eight teams coming uh, next year or whatnot. But uh, furthermore, let's go ahead and move on into my experience with the XFL and just the overall hype that I experienced with it. I watched, I listened, I traveled, And experienced some of the the greatest time I've ever had at sporting events in my entire life. So we go back to, I think it was shortly after, I want to say the season obviously started in February. I think it was like the first part of January is where I wanted to go to the opening game. I had, at that point in time, had kind of narrowed down my two favorite teams or teams to go for were the Dallas Renegades and the Houston Roughnecks Um, but I solely landed on going for the um, Dallas Renegades because of their jerseys and color scheme which uh, represented a lot like the Tennessee Titans baby blue, uh, they had some black in their jersey, obviously mainly all black and, and had a hint of red in it too which is what the Titans have so I went for them and uh wanted to go to their home opener. Now, of course, originally when I was trying to choose what team to go for, I wanted to go to the very first XFL game, um, or I think it was second to uh, first, was in Houston. And ended up realizing it was too expensive to go. the The flights were really expensive. But then realized that flights to Dallas, Texas. I could leave in the morning and get back at night after the game was over and just travel to Dallas for one day uh for the game. So I I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." I remember sitting at work and was like, oh, I think I'm I was talking to a few coworkers that were very interested in XFL and was like, "You know what? I think I'm going to go to a couple games and um, they had asked me like, what about season tickets? I'm like, yeah, that's a little overboard. But then I looked at it and I'm like, there's only five home games and they're pretty like spread out where I could make it happen. Um, so I was looking at the schedule, the opening weekend or kickoff, uh, they had the Sunday game, which I believe was February 9th of, uh, 2020 and when you look at the the overall schedule, they opened uh, in Dallas for the first weekend at uh, Globe Life Park on February 9th at uh, 4 p.m. Central. So I'm like, okay, I can probably make that game. The next home game was the Houston Roughnecks, which was week four. And that was the Battle of Texas. And then, of course, the following week was the New York uh, Guardians, And then they wouldn't be back home until March 29th playing the Seattle Dragons. Well, funny enough, March 29th is my birthday. And they were going to be playing in Dallas against my wife's favorite team, the Seattle Dragons. This would be perfect to take the entire family to and get to travel to Dallas, drive down there, have fun in an XFL game. And then week 10, which was the final week, was actually a Thursday game on April 9th at 7 p.m. Central Time at Globe Life Park. And I'm like, this is perfect. This could work out. It's five weeks and only have to buy plane tickets to four of those games and then travel down like drive for spring break slash my birthday. Perfect. So at that point, I contacted the Dallas Renegades uh, ticket agency for season tickets. They got back to me like immediately, and worked out a deal of what ticket I want, what seat I wanted, and what um, basically package. So we did all five games, and. And within a couple days, I not only had season tickets, but um, being in Colorado, um, I live probably about 75 miles away from the Denver International Airport, um, and they have Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines, I believe, is uh, based or homed in Texas, maybe in Dallas. I'm not quite 100% sure on that, but flights from Denver to Dallas were super cheap. I'm talking probably like a hundred dollars round trip and it pretty much all four of the games that I needed to travel and fly to were under four hundred and ten dollars. And season tickets I I believe were like a hundred and twenty bucks for all five games. It may have even been less than that. And I'm like I literally could do this I think I also had the option the following season for NFL that the Denver Broncos are playing the Tennessee Titans, and I really wanted to go to that game. I could have spent nearly the exact same amount that I spent on traveling. Uh, Of course, there were other expenses involved in that with like car rental, things like that. Um, But when I totaled out the four games, and then, of course, the fifth game that we'd be going to, um, or it would be the fourth in the season out of the five, um, but you, we'd just be driving down. There wouldn't have airfare or anything like that. Um, and I, and of course, with all these games, I did not need to essentially stay at a hotel. Did stay overnight. It literally, they had an early morning flight. I left Denver normally at five six a.m. in the morning got to Dallas around 8-ish local time in Dallas, ate breakfast, explored Dallas, ate lunch, headed to the stadium, and the game was happening. So it worked out perfect of how that worked. Um, And it all took shape within a couple days. Uh, I had all my flights booked. I had car rental um, through my job, had a discount, had car rentals lined up for... All five games, including one we were traveling to, and had airfare, had everything good to go. And I was absolutely shocked. This was my second team of being a season ticket holder. Obviously, the previous uh, Rocky Mountain Vibe season I had in 2019, that was my first experience as a season ticket holder. And it worked. It, It worked out very well. So I'm like all pumped up. I'm ready to go. Um, I got really into kind of give a shout out to an XFL podcast. It's called This is the XFL Show or XFL Show, kind of where I got my PBL name from uh, to represent and to honor them because they were a very great podcast. And shortly, right after I started listening to them, they actually became the official podcast for the XFL And I was obsessed. This is what I did at work while I was working. I would listen to their podcast. I would listen to anything XFL news, um, getting ready for the season. And within a month, the season was there. I mean, I had about a month of planning to get out to Dallas to be a season ticket holder. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night um, on Well, let, let's backtrack to February 8th. February 8th was the official kickoff of the XFL, which was the Saturday after the Super Bowl. This is the first year in many years that we were um, outside the AF. I believe may have started right after the NFL season. I'm not quite sure if that's the case. Can't really remember. Um, but this is finally we are not going to have a break in football. We are going from the Super Bowl to the XFL, and there was great players, great coaches. This was going to be the best thing ever, Um, and I was hooked. I was hooked from day one of the announcement to the teams, to the logos, to the jerseys. It just fascinated me of how great this was going to be. So February 8th came along, and man, I tell you, the first two games of the XFL were amazing. Um, you had the season essentially start out with the first, very first game. Had us see the uh, Seattle Dragons uh, traveling to Washington, D.C. to play the D.C. Defenders. And at that point in time, I am a huge Ohio State fan, so Cardell Jones was the D.C. Defenders' uh, starting quarterback. He showed up. He did great. Um, they won 31-19. to The D.C. Defenders defeated the Seattle Dragons. Um, their attendance for that game was 17,163. And then the next game, which came on right after that game, was the Los Angeles Wildcats traveling to Houston uh, to play the Roughnecks. And uh, that game showed how amazing P.J. Walker and Cam Phillips were going to be this season being a quarterback-wide receiver duo. Uh, Houston Roughnecks uh, beat the Wildcats 37-17, to and um, their attendance 17,815. They had a 3.30 for ratings for viewership um, and 3.29 for that second game. And then, of course, you had on... The next day, February 9th, which, again, was my travel day, so I I watched those first two season games. They were amazing. The new format, the cameras, everything you could imagine of the XFL. And if you have not watched the 2020 season, the whole season is up on YouTube. You can watch them in HD. I have watched these games over and over and over. And this is a the one time I'll tell you, I can watch these games like replaying wrestling events. I I can watch a wrestling event down the road, rewatch it, whatever. I can't do that with the NFL. I can't stand to rewatch NFL games. I don't care to do that. I don't care about rewatching MLB games. None of that type of stuff. Will I do it if I'm doing like a stream, a special event potentially? But the XFL. I can rewatch these games over and over and over, and it does not get old. They are amazing presentation. They have great entertainment, and the games are really fun to watch. So, after watching those first two games, I was even more hyped to go to Dallas the next morning and to watch the Dallas Renegades play. It was going to be great. Now, of course, the second game. Uh, Or third game, which was on February 9th, was being played at uh, noon uh, or 1 p.m. where I was going to in Dallas. So uh, that game was going to be a little hard to kind of get to watch. Um, I knew they had some TVs around the stadium that were showing it, and there were some bars, but I ended up electing not to do that. Um, So when I – here's how my journey went. I got up, like I said, in the middle of the night, uh, going up to Denver. Uh, parked. It was cold in Colorado. I remember. Um, I got to uh, DIA, Denver International Airport. Got checked in, and basically got on that plane. Got to Dallas a couple hours later. Rented my car, and the first thing I went and did was I went and got some food, and then. Knew I had some time to kill in Dallas, and the one thing I had never been able to see um, or haven't been to uh, uh, in uh, per se has been the JFK, where JFK was uh, assassinated. And so I went downtown Dallas um, in that area and went to where JFK was killed, took some pictures, went into the little museum thing they had or souvenir shop, and Kind of just reflected on just how insanely crazy because JFK was a president I was obsessed with growing up. Um, I, I really was a kind of U.S. history buff um, in elementary into high school, and JFK was kind of just a president that I really kind of was like, just wanted to do reports on, read books on. So that experience was very humbling. It was it was just an amazing experience getting to do that. Um, and that, that's what made the XFL so great. It was not just the aspect of the game, the traveling, but more the aspects of the cities it was in. Obviously I only got to go to Dallas. Um, it would have been cool to go to some of the other stadiums and explore some of those towns that I've may have not been to yet. Um, in my life. So, I explore the JFK area, um, go to get some lunch, and then I go park. um, And there's a lot of tailgates happening, stuff like that. But they were doing a, if you're a season ticket holder, um, they were doing a pregame celebration or whatnot with autographs of the team. Uh, Some of the players coming out. Some of the former Dallas Cowboys were going to be there. And just a party atmosphere outside the gates before the game, and then you could go in and um, buy merchandise, uh, hats, jerseys, t-shirts, footballs, you name it. They had it. And I'll tell you, it was so crowded. Now, the weather in Dallas for that first game was kind of like, it was hot, muggy, and it was like somewhat raining, but not like hardcore raining. It was like a mist so it was it just made me feel so disgusting and of course I I traveled to Dallas this was obviously prior to covid reaching the United States as far as we knew at that time and I was sick as can be before I went to Dallas I thought I had the flu went to the doctor got some medication I did not have the flu I didn't have anything I literally tested negative for everything that was possible at that point in time to test for strep throat nothing I was sick um and the humidity the moisture I it was just gross and I'm like uh but obviously we didn't we didn't know about covid we didn't know anything about that at that point in time so it was what it was it, it was nothing that big um I I may have had covid then I have no idea um to this day I still don't know if that was the case I never Got the antibodies to find that out once that was available. Um, but my symptoms very much mimicked what was going on once we had find out what COVID was. Kind of mimicked that um, to an extent. Um, but oddly enough, during this game, the fans were in Dallas of all places because we know a lot of people were Defiant against wearing masks, didn't want to wear them, blah, blah, blah. blah. We know the story. I'm not going to hound on it here or even talk about it. But funny enough, they were giving away bandanas to wear because the renegades, they, they were like these cowboy image of like robbers and whatnot, and they wore bandanas over their face, like their their nose and their mouth. And I kid you not, like, half of that stadium, if you go back and watch that game and they show the crowd, a lot of them are wearing the bandanas, which were pre- are pretty, like, solid cloth bandanas, which I still have mine. It's pretty nice material that, funny enough, if COVID was around back then, most people were wearing masks per se, and it was just—it's just a funny, weird coincidence. Looking back on that, how ironic that was. But I wore basically my bandana for most of the game. So, just funny. I—I I obviously was feeling a lot better once I was traveling and like was on antibiotics before that game. But even—and that's the other thing too—the antibiotics never helped. So. I, I naturally got better over a couple weeks, and sure enough, you take a look at COVID and how that worked. It's just weird. It's completely weird. Um, but anyways, to get back to like the aspect, it was so packed. There was lines out the door to get merchandise. Merchandise was flying off the shelves. T-shirts were selling. This was before the gates even opened. The The... This was the former home of the Texas Rangers. Their new stadium was getting built at that time across the street. And, man, I I kid you not. It was just crazy aspect of how many people were there and just how excited. Texas is crazy for football anyways. They're obsessed with it. It is massive down there, whether you're in high school or wherever you are. And I could not believe just the atmosphere of Dallas and this crowd and I I, it instantly just got me even more hooked well to get in like I was a couple probably like five or six people deep to get in and the cool thing is being a season ticket holder you got to have picked one game you could go to that you're going to that you got filled access for pregame warm-ups and I was going to save that for when we went down for week five uh, for my birthday so everybody could go on the field or whatnot. And for some odd reason, something told me to go on this game. I Literally, it was that day. I'm like, I should just go this game. So I went up to the season ticket area outside the stadium, let them know I wanted to do the on-field thing this game. They gave me directions of where to go uh, once I got in the stadium and go from there. So get in the stadium, I think it was about an hour, hour and a half before kickoff, and find a designated area, which was a little bit of a disaster. This It wasn't marked really that clear, um, but that was okay. Um, found where I had to go, got my little wristband that I uh, had to get on, the clearance to get on the field, Went into the stadium itself, and I was just amazed. Um, words couldn't even explain my feeling when I walked in there and just saw the atmosphere. Um, it, there was obviously it was it was starting to be pregame warm ups, loud rap music playing, which I am love rap music or hip hop, and. People were going crazy. Like, fans were so thrilled. They were happy. They are cheering. I mean, it was just a crazy atmosphere. And then getting to step foot on the field for the first game of the Dallas Renegades and to watch them practice and warm up. Um, they had the entire sideline of the Dallas Renegades going all the way up to the visitor's side In the end zone area, where you could walk around and see the field, get different views of the the warm ups. I've taken pictures. I've posted those. I may even upload some to Graham Slam Podcasts uh, Instagram page, just so you guys can see my experience. And I have some videos too. But I kid you not, I was in heaven. Like this was such an amazing thing that in a million years I would have never expected that I was able to get to do and to be part of this amazing, amazing atmosphere and to watch the players warm up, start getting to know the names of the players and everything and then watch, uh, try to look out for Bob Stoops, head coach, which is a pretty famous coach in football. If you're aware of football, you know who Bob Stoops is with Oklahoma Um, there's so much history that was with that team and just being on the field, getting to watch the warmups, getting to watch the, uh, St. Or they ended up playing the uh, St. Louis battle Hawks, um, getting to watch them play their first game as a team. It was just crazy. Well, of course the, the problem kind of came in and this is where, this is a stadium issue, I believe it was, and not per se an XFL issue. Was Globe Life Park or Field, I don't know. I think it's Globe Life Park. Yeah, Globe Life Park. They were not prepared for this. They were not prepared for the amount of fans that were at that game. Uh, I mean, they're, again, the attendance for that game was 17,206. So there was a lot of people there. And... They didn't have as many concession stands open. I believe that entire game I did not eat. I didn't get a drink because it was nearly impossible without missing so much of the game. And I was not going to have that, especially traveling. So, I at least got lucky enough after that game to be able to go get a drink and some food before having to get back on an airline to get back to Colorado. But again, like the game itself was amazing. Dallas lost. Um they lost 15 to 9 to the uh St. Louis Battlehawks. But again, it was an experience like no other and this was the other issue I had as well. Of course, the overall stadium was ticketless or like it was mainly all digital tickets essentially. And my phone had died probably about maybe 15 minutes after doing the on-field experience because I was taking uh, videos, taking pictures, things like that. And I didn't know where my seat was. So I I had figured I knew where it was. I went to it. Was that it? And these people were, like, getting really pissed off that I was in their seat. I'm like, no, I'm a season ticket holder. I'm pretty sure this is my seat. And I explained to them, like, hey, this is, uh, from what I remember, this is my row, this is my section. People were like, no, that section's the next one over. I was like, ah, crap. So I got up. I went up to the fan, um, season ticket uh, fan office or whatnot, and I was like, look, my phone died. I don't have access to my ticket. I have no idea where I'm sitting can you pull up my ticket at least to give me what seat I was in to make sure I had it correct? So lucky enough, they were able to print me off a ticket. I still have that ticket to this day. And I went and found my seat. And it was great. Like, once I got to my seat, the game was uh, just probably a couple minutes into it. So I got to see... A very good game. Obviously, they lost, but the atmosphere, the fans were hyped. Um, I I met a good like a good friend that I talked to for those remaining three games. It was a probably a guy a little younger than me, and um, him and his mom had season tickets and whatnot. And he was a huge football fan, so it was nice interacting with fans around that were also season ticket holders. So the three games that I got to go to that. Um, essentially before the league was shut down, like, it was great. It was amazing being part of all that and to make some connections at the the stadium or whatnot. Obviously, I've never talked to those people after those games or anything, but it was just a great experience of being around people Mm -hmm. that were just as excited as anyone else and to just live that atmosphere of being a fan of football Knowing that this was something alternative to the NFL that was really looking like it was going to make it big. And it was just a great experience. So the game itself, um, I think, lasted probably about 2 hours and 52 minutes, I believe. And I got out of there, got back in the parking lot, and got back to the Dallas airport, the rental car agency before... um, essentially getting on my flight and coming back to Colorado. But I'd be gone from leave my house at about 3 a.m., get to Denver, go to the game, fly back, and get home probably around midnight-ish. Um, and, I, I mean, on that that night, I, I worked that Monday, so I literally got home. Um, lucky enough, I worked from home on Mondays, so worked Monday – and then the uh, Dallas Renegades were away for the following two weeks. Um, they had essentially uh, traveled to LA and then traveled to Seattle for the uh, week two and week three. And then, of course, week four and five um, were at home in Dallas. So those were the last two games that I got to attend. And week four was the Houston Roughnecks game. So, that was the Texas Showdown game. That game was insanely, like, hyped and pumped up. Um, That game alone ended up, I believe, let's see here, um, had about 1,300, 1,400 more people at it. So, the attendance for that game was 18,332. And... That game was hyped. I mean, that was Texas football to the T. The Renegades uh, only lost by a touchdown. Um, They lost 27-20. Unfortunately, I did not see a Dallas Renegades win the entire season, um, at least at home. Uh, They did win, I believe they won both of their away games. Yeah, they won in uh, L.A., and then they won in Seattle, uh, for Week 2 and Week 3. So they went 2-3 uh, and three for the record. Um, they could have potentially came back uh, the remaining five games and did something with that. Obviously, they had to deal with the Roughnecks, who were undefeated on the season, uh, come the playoffs regardless. So that would have been interesting to see how that played out. Um, but after... Uh, going to that game on week four, which was on a Sunday, I then got to go to week five, which is week five, which was the, uh, the last game, obviously the last week of the XFL, but man, it was March 7th, uh, 2020, uh, nearly almost two years to the date coming up on Monday, but that game meant so much to me because March 7th was my grandmother's uh, birthday, and she was the one that got me into football, into baseball, as I've talked about on the Grand Slam podcast before, um, with the origin story and how my grandparents took me to baseball. They got me into football really big. So it was just one of those moments of getting to go to a, a football game and on her birthday travel, Get to go somewhere that I know we had drove through uh, quite a few times, essentially, um, growing up to go on vacation and stuff. Uh, so, it was great. Um, the last two games, I think the Dallas Renegades game for the New York Giant or Giants, yikes. New York Guardians um, was the lowest attendance that Dallas had, which was 15,950 uh, people. That game was, eh, it was, it was all right. I mean, they, they lost 30 to 12 to the guardians and man, it it really, it just kind of was like deflating as a Dallas fan. Like no offense to you, Dallas Cowboy fans, but Dallas has kind of really kind of turned around recently, at least during the season. Can't say the same for playoffs, but Man, it was heartbreaking being a Dallas fan. We were terrible, especially at home. Um, I mean, they had those two wins on the road, but good night. Was it terrible being at home with watching that play? Uh, I think I tweeted out uh, that, at that Giant or Guardians game, Jesus, why do I keep calling them the Giants? It's so easy to do, I guess. Um, the Guardians game, I tweeted out, I guess I know what it's like being a Dallas fan now. Or a Cowboys fan, with how bad they were, um, so that that was kind of disappointing not to see a good team per se, especially when you know you were debating on potentially going for a Houston Roughnecks and being a Roughnecks fan, and they went five and zero on the season. Um, kind of funny how that works out, but I, I overall I had probably the best experience I. Ever had at football during those three games? I've gone to two, I've gone to three NFL games in my life. I've gone to um, the Denver Broncos versus the uh, Baltimore Ravens, uh, and then two Broncos versus Tennessee Titans games in Denver. And the experience is just not that great. Like, fans are, like, no offense, but fans are jerks at those games especially if you're not a like a fan of the Broncos or the home team like the NFL is just a weird experience to me and it's overpriced and it's just not the greatest I uh, granted I think I don't think I've been to a like every game I went to with the Broncos I'm pretty sure they won every game I don't think the Titans won either of those games and nor did the Ravens because that was the, the start of Peyton Manning's like massive comeback in Denver where I think they ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. But, yeah, it's it's one of these things where, as a fan of football, you or baseball for that matter, as I've talked about with the Rocky Mountain Vibes and the Pioneer League, is these... Startup leagues, these independent leagues, they just give you a different experience that you can't get at a major league baseball or NFL level because it's so guarded, security. There's such like protect the players, very often or very few, and often do you get to like meet the players, talk to the players, where. Pioneer League, you can do that. You can have conversations with the players even during the game. Um, and XFL, same thing. You could get very close to the action. Um, I I think it was the Houston game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the commissioner at XFL, Oliver Luck, was actually at the game. I got to meet him. I got to talk to him. So there, there's a lot that... I, I will say I really, really enjoyed. And that's why when week five came and went, and I think it was the Wednesday after, was probably the worst like thing that ever happened. Um, when the pandemic started, to, I think it, it obviously all started with NBA. I think it was on a Tuesday, um, March... 10th of 2020 I believe was the date the NBA had an issue where it shut down um then you had the following day NHL did MLB talked about shutting everything down the XFL was the last to go but when the XFL went the XFL went and Kind of bring it back to just my experience with this. I, I remember sitting at work. It was March eleventh. Was or no? It was March, maybe March twelfth. There was definitely rumors circulating around the sporting community that the XFL was done. Um, Vince McMahon basically pulled the plug, and within twenty four hours, they were filing for bankruptcy. That was the end of the XFL, and I I remember it was a Thursday afternoon, and I I was heartbroken. Like I remember pulling up ESPN at work, um, because I had got like a a breaking news on my phone about XFL. I'm like, what the heck? So I pulled it up on my work computer, and I just sat there in disbelief because it was like everything was just like ripped out like sports were all shutting down the XFL season which at that point in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion was a high success compared to 2001 there's something there that was was about to be massive and it just was gone i mean i felt horrible and I could not fathom that all this time that I didn't really care about the money. Um, But everything I invested my my passion into um, it—listening to podcasts, following news stories, defending XFL—like that is one thing I will do heart and soul. Is when I am committed to something, like anything, essentially, I will fight new tooth and nail for it, and standing up family members, friends, coworkers, oh, this is just a crappy league. Nope, nope, nope. It's going to be something special, and it was. It definitely was. Those five weeks were very special, and there was very great endings to some of the games. Um, We were about to get our first night game, I think a Thursday night game was the uh, game I was going to go to at the end of the season. There were so many possibilities, and it was gone in an instant. Everything was gone, and we obviously know how the next two years went um, with the pandemic and whatnot, but it was just it was heartbreaking to know that what I loved, what I uh, missed, and whatnot was gone, and we all thought it was like a two-week thing that we were experiencing and it was going to go away. And, I mean, it was the following day at work after the XFL shut down that we were – basically a company email went out that we were told to go home and we were not returning for a while. And, I mean, we are about 10 days away from the two-year anniversary of us being work from home at my job. And I tell you, it's it's just crazy to think that – we're in this for two years and have been. And I mean, it's still here. My family, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, experienced COVID for the official first time. I have personally, and nor is four other people in my household, not tested ever positive for COVID. Uh, but my youngest son did and he ended up hospitalized. Thankfully he is okay. Um, he had to be on oxygen, but he is okay. He is stronger than ever. I still have somewhat of cold. If, I even want to consider any of it linked. I think it's more allergies because the weather around here in Colorado has gone from negative 24 with a wind chill to 60 to 70 to 80 degrees in a week. It's dying. It's like almost a 80 to 90 degree difference in temperature in just a week. And man, my allergies are killing me. Um, but the overall aspect of the XFL, my experience was that this was a league that worked. This is a league that was was for the love of football. The quote itself from the game was from Vince McMahon that started the XFL and created the the slogan for the love of football. It is stuck, and I'll get into that more on episode 26 with what happened to the league afterwards. If you're not familiar, what happened to the league afterwards, after the bankruptcy and all that, and why it's coming back next year, and what news just dropped last week that changed the entire course of football. And of course, we still have other spring football leagues starting out in this April that I am going to, I'm taking my oldest daughter to, And getting to experience another spring football league in another state with my oldest child. I wish I could take all of them, but there's there's no way to do that, especially on a plane to Alabama. But I can't wait. I am so thrilled to have this experience. And, man, it is going to be amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, and I can't wait. I personally cannot wait. Um, and I'll have more on the USFL, United uh, States Football League. I've talked about it before on the, the show, but I'll have more on that coming up at the 30-day mark uh, in just two weeks. On, uh, I think, episode 28, if I am not mistaken, I will be having a full Episode dedicated to the USFL, what that means for the XFL next year, and my take on that. But uh, kind of the that's my personal experience. That is why I'm passionate about the XFL. I am passionate about everything to do with football and uh, professional sports that gives more players the opportunity to thrive in something they want to do and potentially make it to the NFL at some day. And we've seen in twenty twenty kind of the rewind and get back into more of a news slash stat profession. The XFL did produce a lot of NFL players for the 2020, 2021 season or twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one season and twenty 2020- twenty one to twenty twenty two. God, it's so hard to say. It's it's a mouthful. But we saw a lot of uh, essential teams do it, and here's kind of just the rundown of the XFL twenty twenty season and the uh, standings, percentages, and things like that. So let's go ahead and start off with the East Division. The DC Defenders. They were the top of the. Uh, East Division. Actually, the East Division was kind of tied, uh, three-way tie. Uh, they went three and two on the season. Uh, they scored nine touchdowns, gave up twelve. Uh, They're two and one in division play. And the St. Louis Battlehawks were second, three and two as well. Uh, scored eleven touchdowns, gave away eight. They are one on one on the division. The New York Guardians three and two on the season uh, they only scored eight touchdowns giving nine and then division they were one and two Tampa Bay Vipers they were near close to the worst or tied for the worst league or worst team in the league at one and four uh, they gave they uh, scored 11 touchdowns giving uh, 15 up and they were one and one in the division. When we look at the West Division, obviously the Houston Roughnecks, as I stated, were five and zero. They were undefeated. They scored twenty one touchdowns, only gave fourteen up, and they, of course, were three and zero in the division. Dallas Renegades finished second, uh, or tied for second, with the uh, Los Angeles Wildcats at two and three. Uh, Dallas uh, scored nine touchdowns, giving up twelve. They are two and one in the division. Los Angeles Wildcats, 2-3, and three, uh, scoring 18 touchdowns, giving up 14, 0-2 in the division. And then, of course, the Seattle Dragons went 1-4, and four, uh, scoring 12 touchdowns, giving 15 up, and going 0-2 also in the division. Uh, league leaders, uh, we definitely saw... Star of the Weeks uh, kind of went almost to solely to Houston except for Week 4. So Week 1, P.J. Walker, quarterback of Houston. Week 2, February 19th, Cam Phillips, wide receiver for Houston. Week 3, February 26th, Cam Phillips again, wide receiver Houston. Week 4, March 4th, Jordan Tamu, quarterback St. Louis. And Week 5, which was March 11th, Cam Phillips again, Wide receiver, Houston. Um, side note, Jordan Tamu uh, was drafted second overall in the USFL draft for the uh, Tampa Bay Bandits. Um, so look forward to seeing him play again uh, just in about a month. So we'll see there. Um, mid-season awards. These are kind of unofficial, obviously, but Coach of the Year would have went to June Jones with Houston being undefeated team. Uh, quarterback, obviously, PJ Walker. H uh, back uh, Matt Jones, St. Louis. Wide receivers went to Cam Phillips, Houston, Dan Williams, Tampa Bay, and Nelson Spruce, Los Angeles. Tight end Donald Parum or Parum, uh, Dallas Renegades. And, of course, we have O-line, DL, linebacker, kicker, punter, and uh, kick receiver, punt returner. Um, Too many awards to go over there. There's a lot of players on that list. But um, statistical leaders, passing yards obviously went to P.J. Walker. He had 1,338 yards. Rushing yards went to Devon Smith, Tampa Bay, 365 Receiving yards, Cam Phillips. Houston, 455 touchdowns. Cam Phillips, he had nine. Um, we saw, basically, we had a lot, obviously, players that played in the They did well. Um, like I said, a lot of them went to the NFL to play. We've seen P.J. Walker um, play in Carolina. He has started a few games. I believe, if I am not mistaking, can or P.J. Walker is still undefeated, even in his or NFL days of playing in Carolina. Um, I think he won his last game, even though they kind of gave credit to Cam Newton when he signed back with Carolina. Um, we've seen Jack Johnson, who is L.A. Wildcats. Um, he played with the Jets. He's also played with the Baltimore Ravens. Um. Jordan Tammu, I don't think he officially ever played a game, but he was signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, there's a lot of players, again, that made their way into the NFL with the expanded rosters due to COVID. Um, and the XFL really showed it worked. Um, they had a lot of innovative rules for 2020, and I will get into that on the next episode of what that news uh, that broke last week that basically changed the face of professional football here in America and potentially around the world, um, that really kind of basically gives a nod to the XFL, what they're doing is correct and everything, so I'll get into that more, um, but this officially has been the XFL 2020 in review, this is where it all began, where it all is going to go, and let me tell you, it is great. So at least on this episode, I'm going to cut it a little short here. This episode's a little longer than normal, just about an hour and 25 minutes. Um, I will be bringing back the Who, What, When, Where, Why segment down the road. For now, it's just going to be the Entertainment 10 and then the main topic. And we'll kind of essentially go from there on uh, basically – reviewing the XFL but uh, stay tuned like I said you can essentially immediately following this episode or listening to it you have access to episode 26 of the Graham Slam podcast which is XFL and everything to basically know about that for the 2023 season we are less than 365 days away from kickoff let's go ahead Let's cheer on the XFL. Let's cheer on the Pioneer Baseball League and get this podcast back on the road, back rolling, and see you back here on the next episode. And then, of course, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, Gram Slam Podcast will be here for all your sporting good news and uh, news breaks, stories, You name it. I hope that you took away from this episode the same exact as I did and sharing my personal story of how the XFL really connected with my household, with getting to travel, getting to really have some fun and everything in that aspect. So thank you again for everyone listening to this episode. If you haven't done so already, Give us a thumbs up on social medias. Follow us. Subscribe to the podcast on all your podcast providers. And if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts, please rate the podcast five stars if you enjoyed it. And if you're still listening after an hour and 25 minutes, again, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making this podcast what it has been. And I can't wait to continue to grow the Grand Slam Podcast Productions along with the PBL show, and anything else that may come forward. Thank you again. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. See you back here on episode 26, which you can continue listening to right now, right here. Have a great one, everyone. Bye-bye.